A few weeks ago, we, we started a series in the book of Acts, and this morning we're continuing from chapter 3 of the book of Acts. A little recap of what's been happening in, um, in Luke's, Luke's narrative. The, the risen Lord said to the disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. He then gave them the the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. And then before their very eyes, he ascended into heaven. And the apostles did just as the Lord had commanded. They waited in Jerusalem. And then on the day of Pentecost, which literally just means 50 days after Passover, when the The Jews celebrated the the giving of the Mosaic law. The Holy Spirit dramatically fell on the fledgling church. And he fell with power upon them as they worshipped and sang and prayed and huddled together in the upper room. The, The presence of God's Spirit transformed them from the inside out. In Holy Spirit power, they they went out into a city filled with God-fearers from all over the world and shared the good news about the kingdom of God. And later in that, that very day, Peter, who only weeks earlier had been hiding in the shadows, stood up and preached the very first Christ-empowered, Christ-centered sermon, and 3,000 people were saved that day. We are then given... The most amazing, the most incredible little short paragraph in which Luke paints a picture of arguably the, the pinnacle of human society. He says of the church, the fellowship of Christ followers in, in its very first months, he says this. Okay, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So that's the context of our, of our passage today. Okay, chapter 3 begins, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So Peter and John are going up to the temple at three in the afternoon. Now you went up to the temple. When you went up, you you passed through a series of gates. And one of them was called the Gate Beautiful. It was obviously a a highly decorated gate. And at this gate, every day, a beggar was placed. People who who walked that way would have have known this guy. He was the guy who sat at the gate beautiful. 
And he'd been sitting there for as long as anyone could remember. The Bible says he was crippled from birth. He'd probably become a little bit like a tree or a seat, something that was just there. And day after day, people would walk by him. You know, I was watching this video on, on the net the other day, and it was a bit of an experiment where they, they set up a camera and they had it just looking at this busy bit of street. And they had an actor who they dressed up in really shabby clothes. Okay, And they had him walking along and they just filmed what would happen. And this guy, he literally is walking along and he's going... <coughs> <coughs> people everywhere, right? And he went... <coughs> <coughs> and people walked walk past and there's a, a clock ticking and they just walked past and they walked past and they walked past and they walked past and then someone went and another person coming past went oh like this and then they put the same man exactly the same man in a suit and he coughed and fell to his knees and fell over. And a courier stopped and got out of his car and ran over. And people came rushing from everywhere to help the man up. I thought, wow, that, that's this situation. That is exactly this situation. The man has been crippled from birth. Okay, He's been crippled from birth. He stinks, he's got dirty clothes on, and he's sitting at the gate beautiful, as people go where? To the temple. <laughs> to the temple to worship God and to, to give their offering to God. And they walked past him. But Peter and John, you see, people didn't see him, but it says Peter and John saw him. They actually saw him. They made eye contact. But you see, this guy was probably so used to being ignored that, that once they had failed to put a little bit of money in his tin, you see, that's probably what he's looking for. He, he's just looking for that person who's going to somehow put something... And his, it seems that his eyes moved away from theirs. And that's why I think Peter says, look at us, look at us. Because no one looked at him and then his eyes moved away and then it says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I mean, for him, all he knows is if anyone gives me anything, it's a little bit of money or a little bit of bread or they give me something. In verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you. Amazing statement, isn't it? Then he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. How good is that? Walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. 
They remembered him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so that's the background to a passage. We have a guy who's been crippled from birth and God has just, in an instant, just taken it away. In an instant, God has kind of smashed in to his world and he would not have been expecting it on that day, would he? For him, it was just another day. It was just another day that he got up and somehow rolled something's mat up or something and someone propped him up against the wall and it was just another day. You know, I read a story like that and it does occur to me that we, we do things like we come along to church Sunday after Sunday, it's just another day, or we go to our home group or whatever we do, it's just another day and we really don't know, is God going to show up today in power? and absolutely just hammer into our world and change everything for us. You really just don't know, do you? Because that's what it was like for this guy. It was just another day of sitting with the bed sores type thing. Though for him it probably wasn't bed sores, it was probably hard stony floor sores. That's what it was like. Okay, let's read on, verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, as you would, if someone just said to you, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, you'd be, whoa, mate, hang on, don't you go running away. As he held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now just for a moment, get into this moment because everyone's ignoring him. This miracle happens that I don't think anyone would have seen. Really, because they're just, oh, that's the guy there, he's there. They're on their way to worship God. And God is doing a miracle in their midst, and I don't think most of them saw it. I think the man was just amazed. It was a little intimate thing that happened. But then, just imagine being there, suddenly everyone, the word is spreading. Isn't it? That guy's been healed. The guy's been healed. And everyone comes running, and he would have been, I think, freaking out a little bit. He would have. When Peter saw this, verse 12, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Then he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what, had, what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 
and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with his fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So while the, the beggar who had just been miraculously healed held on to Peter and John for his life, a crowd came running. They wanted to see what had just happened and they all knew the cripple, or at least they knew who he was. I don't think they knew him. I think they knew who he was. He was still dressed in the same tattered old clothes and he probably still smelt just as bad as he had before, but there he was walking and jumping and praising God. And as far as the crowd was concerned, Peter and, Peter and John had done this. Remember, the, the great events of Pentecost had occurred only very recently and maybe they recognised Peter. Maybe they remembered him as the one who stood up and, and preached that sermon that everyone saw and so many responded to. Maybe, maybe they remembered Jesus and the miracles which he'd performed among them only just a few months before. And then they thought, wow, I wonder if Peter is now going to claim to be the king of Israel. I wonder if Peter and John, I wonder if one of them is going to say, I am the son of God. I wonder if that was going to be the next stage. I mean, who knows? What we do know is that Peter wanted to very quickly set them straight. He didn't want there to be any confusion in their minds as to just exactly who was responsible for this miraculous healing. This was God's doing, and what had just happened was part of something far greater than simply the healing of the crippled guy at Gate Beautiful. See, I, I don't think this story appears where it does in Acts by Accident. You could read this as simply as an historic account of something which happened shortly after Pentecost. You could read it like that, and I certainly have no doubt these events, these events did happen in history. I'm sure there was a cripple who sat at the gate beautiful. I'm sure that he was healed miraculously that day. There is, however, greater meaning to this story, greater meaning that is found in Peter's response to the crowd. You see here, in this man, in this crippled man, sitting at the gate beautiful outside the temple. We have a metaphor for the human condition. This is a snapshot of the state of humanity following the cross. This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the story of the Bible in one chapter. This is, this is the story of the Bible in one chapter told through the events that surrounded the healing of a, 
a sick bloke living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. You know, in terms of the big picture, in terms of what's it all about anyhow, what is the meaning of my life? Let me tell you, everything hinges on the cross. The cross is the turning point of history. Everything beforehand looked forward to the coming of the Messiah and everything following the cross either finds meaning and purpose in the cross or ultimately it just becomes irrelevant. In the end, everything and everyone will be judged in relation to their response to Christ and the cross. Because the, in the very end, in the very end, we all go to the same place, don't we? We all die. And we all stand before God. And the word of God, the word of God, who is Jesus, who died on the cross for us, his word hinges on your response to Christ on the cross. And that word has eternal consequence. It is either I never knew you away from me, which we call death, or welcome, good and faithful servant. Welcome into the feast. You see, everything hinges on the cross. It really does. I said before, this is, I guess, indicative of the human condition. And let me say to you, humanity is sick. Simply log on to any news site on any day of the year and you will find confirmation of this. Humanity is in dire straits. You know, we say sin entered the world. But if you read the creation account, we have God creating, God bringing life. And then you have the counter to this, which is just absence of life, absence of God. It's like there's no such thing as darkness. It's just absence of light. When you don't have God's creative power, when you don't have life that comes from the author of life, there's just darkness. And we call that all sorts of things. Sin is a, is a word the Bible uses for that. So when we say sin entered the world, well... It was like death. Death entered the world. Sin entered the world countless generations ago when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And ever since, we've all walked that same path. Humanity is sick. You and I, we are all sick with sin. We are sick with death. It eats away everything we do and everything we were created to be and the Bible clearly states that all have fallen short of what God requires of us. We all suffer from this illness. And as a result, we are all sitting at the gate beautiful begging. Begging, as it were, for happiness and meaning in whatever forms we can sponge from the world around us. In a very real way, we are all crippled from birth with the scourge of sin. Just like the beggar. And we all need to hear those words, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. You know, I said before, the power of God came 
crashing into this man's world and everything was turned upside down. Do you know what? We all need that. We do. We desperately need God to burst forth upon us and turn our worlds upside down. We need that as individuals and we need that as a church. We need that as a community. We do. We need for God to turn our world upside down and to change everything. But let me tell you, that can be, that is a scary thing. It really is. And I think it's more scary the older we get to have God turn everything upside down. You think about this crippled man for a moment. Nothing would ever be the same for that guy. Not only could he now walk and run, but suddenly he had a whole world of opportunities and get this, a whole new world of responsibilities. See, no longer will his days be sent sitting and waiting for a handout. Suddenly, for the first time in his life, he could provide for himself and others. And that would have been a scary thing for that man. And when God comes just smashing in, crashing into your life, and things get turned upside down, it will be scary. He will continually bring us into new opportunities where we have an opportunity to respond to him, but there will come with that risk, and we'll need to rely on him. You know, years and years ago, 25 plus years ago, Louise and I had a home group where a whole lot of young adults came and gathered together. And because our church at French's Forest was fairly close to Beacon Hill, where what they called then the Spastic Centre, there was just a, it was a care group where a whole lot of people with cerebral palsy lived. We had quite a lot of people in our fellowship who had cerebral palsy. And we had a young man by the name of Dave in our group. And Dave was really quite handicapped. You know, he really was full-time in a wheelchair and needed a carer in the morning to get him going. And, but... But he had an amazing faith and he was as sharp as can be. And he now works in Canberra, you know, as a computer programmer. And, and he really, you know, he's a sharp guy. And I remember we were, <coughs> we were looking at this passage in our small group. And as I was preparing it, I, I thought, wow, we've got Dave in our group. I, I, I wonder what Dave feels about this. And I used to go and pick him up, and, and so we used to have time in the car, just the two of us. And you can imagine, when you're talking to Dave, it, it took quite a while for him to communicate to you. So it was good that we were travelling in the car. And I asked him about this, about how he would feel about being prayed for and, and whether he really longed for healing. And I've never forgotten his response that he just, in his kind of you know, struggling manner, said to me, that would be too scary for me as a 22-year-old to suddenly be you know, physically able. I don't know if I could cope. I just, and he did not want me to pray for healing for him. And then I reconnected with Dave about 25 years later uh, through Facebook. And he has become, sadly, a very bitter and angry man at God. 
So when I read this passage, I thought, yeah, I remember that with Dave. He needs refreshing. Now, I don't know whether God, <clears throat> I have no doubt God could have healed him physically. But I have a sense now that God was wanting to do a different work in Dave, inside Dave, on his heart and mind. And there was resistance then. And now, all these years later, he still needs renewal. He still needs refreshing water, as Jesus said to the woman at the well. He still needs the water of life. In a very real way, we are all like Dave and we like this man at the game, Gate Beautiful. We desperately need God. We need him to come and save us. And then we need him to empower us to be the people he calls us to be. That is wonderful. But I want to recognise today that it's also scary. It really is. And I said this was a metaphor for the human condition, that the whole chapter is a summary of the gospel. Have a listen to what Peter says next. Verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You know, for the Jews hearing those words, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers. For the Jews, those words were laced with meaning. You see, the whole story of God's re gracious redemption from slavery in Egypt, the, the, the years wandering in the wilderness, the entry into the promised land, and then victory after victory after victory, the glory years of King David and his son Solomon, the exile and the return to, to rebuilding Jerusalem again, the whole story of God's interaction with his people this was their God, the God whose identity was tied up in what he had done for them. This God, their God. Okay, when he said those words, this was their God, this was their story, had glorified who? Jesus. That's what he says. Your God. Our God, the God of our story, came focusing in and glorified Jesus. He says, you handed him over to be killed, said Peter. And you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Remember what I said before about, we talk about sin, but it's really death. <laughs> the opposite of life. Anti-life, lack of life. Do you realise that the author of life was put to death for our sins and the Jews screamed, release Barabbas, the murderer. I mean, it's staggering, isn't it? I mean, Peter let them have it. He wasn't going to let them somehow think that this healing had come from himself. This was about God and his son, Jesus. This healing was about something far greater than simply one crippled man. This healing was part of a far greater story that started long ago, started way, way back. And they were all involved. That's what Peter's saying. This is not just about the guy at the gate, beautiful. We're all in this. You know what? 
we are all in this. 2,000 odd years later, we are all in this. If you somehow think that this has nothing to do with you, think again. If you, it was your sins and my sins that put Jesus on that cross, just as well as those who were standing there that day. We, humanity, collectively rejected and disowned the author of life, putting him to death. But God raised him from the dead. That's why Isaiah, why Isaiah wrote, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Do you know what iniquity means? It means our wickedness, our evil, our sin, our injustice, our death-filled lives, our crimes, our mistreatment of each other. All of that was laid on Jesus. Why? Well, so that it could be dealt with, paid for. That's why Jesus hung on the cross, and that's why he says as he hangs on the cross, eventually, it is finished. It is finished. We all are like the beggar sitting at the gate, beautiful. And often like him, I think we go through life just begging for a few coins just begging for a few little happy moments. Just begging for something to make us feel better. Just a few moments of pleasure, a few moments of happiness, a few moments where there's not darkness and death surrounding us. We long for it. But just like the guy at the gate, beautiful, I don't think we really even know what we need often. I know I talk to people out there in the street. There's people out there in the world. And they just have no idea what they're longing for. But they're longing, aren't they? And they keep turning up week after week after week at something, trying to get a fix that never really satisfies. So they keep coming back to it. You know, I heard someone years ago, and it, it really hit me. They were at the, the G8 summit. In, they were demonstrating against the people meeting in the G8 summit in Scotland. And I heard this interviewer, it was on the radio, and they were trying to get a bit of a soundbite from one of the, the demonstrators. And this woman went up, and she kind of built it up, and, you know, that they're demanding things, and let's find out what they really want. And they came up to these demonstrators and they couldn't say what they wanted. There was just this kind of blood-curdling scream. It really hit me when I heard that. The interviewer, all she could do in response was to say, another enthusiastic demonstrator outside the G8 summit and since that time, I guess with new vision, I have looked at footage, particularly, say, with the Arab Spring, you know, where we, in Egypt, where you have, there was a whole lot of demonstrations some years ago, and it continues. 
on. And so often you see people who are just screaming for something, but they're not really sure what they want. I think that's like the guy at the gate, beautiful. He's just looking, he's scanning for someone because he thinks it's just about a bit of bread or some coins or something. And we can all be a bit like that. Just like the beggar, the world doesn't know what they need, let alone where they will find it. Verse 16, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that is given this complete healing, as you can all see. Now let me just say to you, if we are all like the beggar, crippled from birth, with sin and we are desperately in need of complete healing, then this is the answer, verse 19. Repent then. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Repent then and turn to God. I looked up that word repent. Originally the Greek word was a military term, which meant retreat. If you were marching this way, you were marching this way and the order came, repent! Everyone turned and ran the other way. You would about face and, and march the opposite way. And I really like that image. See, it gives us a good foundation upon which to build our understanding of repentance. Repent then and turn to God. Now that would imply that we are walking away from God. We're actively walking away from God, but we need to repent. We need to turn and start walking toward God. You know, yesterday we had to go down to Sydney to a wedding. And um, it was at Belmore, and then the reception was over at Double Bay. And they were quite a few hours apart. So Louise and I got down to, to Double Bay a little bit early. And we parked in there with this beautiful park. Beautiful park. I've never seen so many thoroughbred dogs in all my life. Just, they were beautiful, these dogs, everywhere. And everyone had a little plastic bag and picking up the poos. And, oh, they were magnificently behaved, these dogs. The other thing that was just beautiful was the children. These wonderfully dressed little children. Anyway, I've been working on this sermon in the week and I'm thinking about repentance because the trouble is we can sit here today... And if you've been walking for Jesus for a long time, when I say these words, when I read these words of Scripture, I guarantee many of you, just like me, are saying, well, I did that. I did that when I was 11. I repented and I turned and I followed Jesus. That's done. I've done that. Tick. But the, no, 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 no. It's much more like, as Louise and I were sitting as Mara and Pa Kettle in our camp chairs, observing all the families, and these lovely little kids walking with mum and dad and their beautiful little shih tzus or whatever they were, beautiful dogs. I thought it's, repentance is much more like little kids. We're much more like the little kids, aren't we? Who walking with Jesus, he's in control, and the kids are walking with us and then they run off towards the cars or the water or something 
And it's a little bit like the parents are going, hey, repent, repent. No, no, repent. Joseph, repent. Amelia, turn back. Because that's what life's like, isn't it, as we walk with Jesus? We're walking along swimmingly. Everything is just glorious. Walking with Jesus. And before we know it, your eyes are over here. Just see that girl's bottom. Did you see that car? Did you see that house? You're just distracted, aren't you? So you're walking along like a little kid. Our hearts wander after other things. And walking with Jesus, it's about repent and turn. We do that every day. That's what the text tells us. So the first thing, I just want to give you, just to close, four things. When we think about repentance, first thing is this. We need to understand our own guilt and sinfulness. Can I encourage you to readily think about your own guilt and sinfulness? Now, the temptation here would be think about everyone else's guilt and sinfulness, but don't do that. Think about your own guilt and continual sinfulness, your own heart. And we need to ask God that he will readily expose our own hearts to us. And one of the best ways to do that is that we use God's word, which is like a mirror. That's what it says. A mirror which shows us who we really are. Spend time in God's word, sharing with others, and being willing to hear rebuke from others. Second thing in this, I need to begin to understand the extent of God's mercy. Spend time meditating regularly on just how gracious God has been to you. You know, when we think about the sins other people have committed against us, it's very easy, isn't it, to think, well, Lord, I'm praying because there's going to be one day when, when that person's guilt is going to be seen by everyone and the truth is going to come out. And, and then you think, oh, hang on. Gee, I really hope my stuff's not going to come out. So Jesus is saying to me, so Murray, do we want everyone to see that or that or that? Think about your own sin. Think, spend some time thinking about the grace of God in your own life. That will help with repentance. Number three, and I think this is very important, we need to actually develop a hatred of sin. A genuine hatred of sin. I mean, it shocks me and I don't mean everyone else, but I'm just talking about me. It shocks me how readily I start to accept sin. And I lose the genuine horror that I might sin against God in this way or having these thoughts or whatever. I think we need to continually come back to having a genuine horror of sin. And look, let me just preface that by saying, I think the more we walk with Jesus, we need to have an increased horror of sin in our own life, where we have zero tolerance of sin in our own life. But sin in another person's life, we need to have almost the exact opposite response to. Because the closer we walk with Jesus, the more compassion we feel for the sinner. And the grace-filled life 
means that we will be more gracious to the other person. And we almost expect sin because sin is, fills the world. And we go, what do we expect when we live in the darkness? We're called to be light. We live in the darkness. What do you think you're going to find in the darkness? Darkness. <laughs> so we are very gracious towards others. Zero tolerance of sin in our own life. Do you get that? Okay. It says in Psalm 119, Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. You know, when I see people confess a faith in Jesus yet long for the life they used to have, sadly, I think to myself, that won't last. You know, when someone decides to follow Jesus... They're walking this way with Jesus, but all the time they just, I just want to go back. I just want to go back to the filth. I want to go back and play in the mud. It says in 1 John 2, it says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. See, true repentance, true turning leads to a hatred of sin. People who truly understand the extent of their own rebellion, the extent to which God has extended grace and forgiveness to them, they don't want anything to do with their own life. That's why baptism is such a beautiful symbol. That's why I say to everyone who gets baptised, what we're doing here is we are acting out. My old life is fit to be buried. When I go down into that water, it is fit to be buried and I want nothing more to do with it. When I come out of the water, the image is I am walking into new life with Christ. I'm burning the bridges. I'm not going back to that old life. And finally, number four, repentance involved a persistent chasing after God. And don't get me wrong. How can we possibly touch God? How can we possibly find God? If, unless he reaches down to us, how can you, how can you possibly Chase God. Think of the little child. The little child walking through the park. Come on, repent, repent. We're going this way. I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming. I'm coming, Daddy. Chasing after God. That's the simple image. That's what it's all about. Okay? You know the trouble is? We spend so much time chasing other things. Despite saying we... We love Jesus despite wanting all of that. We spend so much time chasing other things. Flicking through Facebook. Watching TV shows. That are just one ad after another. Dreaming of something or whatever. Very little time chasing God. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had to buy the field so that he might own the treasure. Whatever it takes to chase Jesus, chase Jesus. Just think, the little kid. You don't want to be out there wandering around. You want to be close to Jesus. 
So repentance requires, requires that I appreciate my own guilt, that I look to God's mercy, that I literally hate sin and that other behaviour, that I seek after God and holy living. Repentance then is about turning to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ to walk with you. That's what it's about. This morning, I want us to just spend a little bit of time just in silence with our, our heads bowed, our eyes shut. And I want to give us time just in the silence to just kind of rest and And I pray that you would just listen to what Jesus is saying to you right now. Are you longing for renewing waters, living waters, to wash through your life? I believe the word of God is saying to us, the secret, the core, the key of this is repentance. I'm not talking about deciding to follow Jesus. I'm saying, okay, for some of you that may be the case. And I pray that, that if, if that is the case, that today is the day that you decide to follow Jesus. But for others here, that was a decision that was made many years ago. But the answer is still repentance. The answer is still turning from where we're running and coming and walking in alignment with Jesus. And that means walking in alignment with his word. That means chasing after him daily. Lord Jesus, I've been walking away from you. Maybe this is your story. I've been walking away from you all my life. And today, I want to turn and follow you. And today, it's just like that guy 2,000 years ago. He had no idea you were going to show up and just turn everything upside down. He got up in the morning and he didn't have a clue what was coming. And Lord, today I feel like that. Lord, wash me anew. Reveal yourself to me. Meet me right where I am, Lord. <clears throat> and I ask that you would forgive my sin and teach me how to walk with you. Lord, I pray for life. I've been living in death and I just want life. And you are the author of life. Maybe the Lord is saying to you, just deal with this one thing. 
Let's just deal with this. Stop walking toward that thing and walk back towards me. Stop playing over there and start coming and walking with me. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, forgive me. Help me. Strengthen me to walk with you. I can't get that strength anywhere else. You promised that your spirit would guide me. Your spirit would live within me and show me how to be Christ-like. I'm claiming that promise, Lord. May your spirit be unto me as as your word promises. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful story. Short little story. But it encapsulates our condition so well. Bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name.